This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly Warthog Man Cave. Well, in the piney woods of North Central Florida, God's country, as you know. And we're enjoying a delightful day today. We are also in the Melvin Law Studio. Melvin Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Fighting Gators. And we're protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. Always get your local crime prevention service. Best in the town, best in the country, best in the world. John and Randy do a tremendous job. John Pastore and Randy Elrath, and patronize our sponsors. They're good people. They started their businesses on their own. They went from scratch. They came to America, so to speak, already being here. Some of them came, though. Some of them actually came, but they wanted the opportunity. And we got to help those kind of people. Uh, we always have to look out for the entrepreneur, the person who works hard, the person who believes. And that's what we got today. As you know, once a month, Award Scott Files uh, donates time to Dance Alive National Ballet. Dance Alive National Ballet is actually a very old company here in town, but it's like an artesian well, always fresh water bubbling up from the underneath it because we get new dancers, new talent as they move on. They are dance all over the world. They're international superstars, but they love Gainesville. There's a lot to be said for the arts in Gainesville. And yours truly really believes in helping the arts. All we really have to do is let you get to know them. Today, we've got someone I don't think you've ever met before, who is yet again a dancer here with Dance Alive National Ballet of superior excellence. I'm going to get out of the way in a moment once I introduce Talis and get him to say his last name, because he's Portuguese and language initially, coming from Brazil, and uh, let him talk to us a little bit about what he's been doing, how he came to be here, uh, what's uh, in the future, why this company, rather than another company, uh, a lot of things uh, that you might want to listen to and get to know these fantastic people. Thomas, welcome to the Ward Scott Files, sir. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Good morning. Um, just wanted to thank you for the opportunity, for inviting me, for the space. This is great. Um, well, uh, like you said, <laughs> a Brazilian name. So my name is Tadis Ribeiro. That's my last name. I know it's a little <laughs> hard to pronounce there, but that's more than okay. 
Um, so I am 25 years old. I came from Brazil. I started dancing there when I was um, turning 16. That's already kind of late, if you think about it. Um, and I started with ballet, jazz, and contemporary dance. I worked with musical theater, too, in Brazil. And that was how I got into my first professional experience um, as a dancer, was working with musical theater and later on with contemporary dance while I started choreographing in Brazil. And that's also one of the things that brought me to America, was choreographing, was participating in numerous um, ballet competition competitions, national and international competitions. And I was lucky enough, <laughs> worked hard, but it was I was lucky enough to be um, a winner in most of those competitions that I uh, participated. And I started working with a couple of co uh, companies in Brazil, and one of my teachers, she has a contact with Kim. She has a really good relationship with Kim Tuttle, the director of Dance Alive. And at the end of 2020, oh, sorry, 2019, she uh, asked me, she invited me to send um, my curriculum, my resume, my videos for audition to Dance Alive. And... They liked me. <laughs> she liked me and she uh, offered me a contract. And I was supposed to come here um, on for the 2020-2021 season. But COVID hit and everything just got delayed. Um, unfortunately, we had to wait another year. And I got here in October 2021. Been here since then. Fell in love in the first week here it was it was challenging not gonna lie um i was really scared i was terrified to come because i like i said i i was a professional before i was working in companies in brazil but um to leave your country your language your family friends all of that was i was scared I was scared because I knew a lot of people here already, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same relationship. And again, I feel like I was just lucky enough to get here and meet all those amazing people that we have here at Dance Alive. And I just fell in love. I just, now I have friendships that, you know, changed my life. Uh, there's so many things that are so uh, uh, new to people with ballet. You come from a culture that has featured ballet for quite a, quite a long time. Um, oh. Most of you all who have traveled about the world dancing are going to cultures that have featured ballet for a long, long time. I've talked to dancers who've danced in Russia. The buildings are three or 400 years old. The yeah. The country here is not that old, you know? <laughs> and so for ballet to be an event that 
Americans are familiar with is not usually the case. And so one of the things I have to remind them of, and having been an athlete, but not on your level, because I think you guys are real athletes and artists. Thank um, you. I've been a coach and all that business. Um, is the incredible talent and discipline of the of the ballet dancer, and and particularly, I guess you're a little bit familiar with maybe not too much American football. Those yeah. guys who go out on the edge of the field and catch those passes frequently are guys who go through ballet training in the off-season because everything they do, flying through the air, twisting, leaping, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. That's yeah, you're, you're 100% right. I'm also a teacher. I, I'm also a teacher here at the Buffalo Studios. Um, and I was a teacher in Brazil, and I actually taught some um, football players here on my adult I've heard that football players have come by to work out with the ballet dancers, <laughs> yeah. which I think is absolutely what they should be doing. I mean, I watch you guys train during the day. Um, how many? It never stops. I know that. So, yes. <laughs> how many hours a day? And you probably can't think of it this way. It's kind of like asking a fish to think about swimming without water, you know. You know, how can you be a fish and not have water? You know, how can you be a da- ballet dancer and not have stretching? Which I've never done enough of. I've never. Definitely never. It's, Tell me about stretching. Oh, okay. So that's that's a very important thing. Of course, in ballet, you want to you wanna you want to try to find balance, right? In between, you know, like flexibility and strength. Just especially if you're a guy, because you you have to lift. You have to do all the partnering sections where you pick up people that are falling or just jumping into your arms. So you have to be able to do that. So you also want to work on your uh, strength, but flexibility, it's just necessary. If you think that, Pretty much to start a ballet class, we cannot prepare our feet the way we walk, which is parallel. That's right. So you have to rotate the legs out to the sides. So that already demands a lot of mobility there on your hips. So basically, the very first thing you do in a ballet class already demands a lot of flexibility. So it is it is necessary. It's a very important topic um to be to become a professional dancer it's not it doesn't need to be anything extreme but you do need a lot of flexibility a lot of flexibility you know I feel like I was lucky again I was lucky again because I, I feel like I was I was born with a lot of flexibility and that was one of the reasons why um my career you know like you were fit for that you were made for that yeah uh, like my career just went like 
Hello, good morning. Uh, my career went up like really fast because my body could do a lot of things that other people were struggling with. So again, I feel like I was very lucky on that subject. <laughs> you know, you made a uh, an interesting um, gesture a moment ago of the feet. Normal people don't walk like that, right? <laughs> huh? Yes. yes. <laughs> I love the term normal people because we use <laughs> them a lot. <laughs> oh, God. You don't want to be pigeon-toed. We're not normal people anymore. Yeah. You don't want to be pigeon-toed and be a ballet dancer. <laughs> Your toes pointing in, right? Yeah, you want to point out. Want that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh man so yeah. I, I've talked to other dancers they say seven hours a day is not unusual often oh often. no definitely not definitely not that's I, I would say because um, when you uh, okay so I would say when you're a student when you're younger and you're actually learning it um Your schedule, it tends to build up as you get older, but the more you can do and the sooner you start, the easiest it will be just because your body is a little bit more available for all the stretch, all the strengthening, all the recovery you're going to need to have from the exercises because your muscles are going to get sore. You're going to get sore. So it's, um, it, it can be even more, you know, like challenging me. It can be even harder than that. When I was a student, I used to have, um, it was like nine hours a day, nine hours of classes in a row. So I would go to the studio um, I would get there in Brazil. We have like, for, uh, when you leave school, it's, it's just a little bit sooner than what you guys are used to here. We normally finish school around noon, like 1130. And by 1230, I would be at the studio to warm up for my first class at one. And I would stay at the studio to 10, 10, 30 PM. So it, it was like, it was busy. It was busy. I, like I've, at the very first year, I didn't even stop to eat in between those classes, which is not healthy. <laughs> but but no, I wouldn't recommend that. But that's what I did. That's what happened when I was sixteen and naive. <laughs> well, tell us, tell us about. You used a word with a lot of syllables there. Choreographer. Oh, yeah. That must be challenging and interesting and gives you an outlet for your creativity. Can you talk about that function for a while? For sure. For sure. Um, so when I started dancing, I identified with the contemporary dance right away. Just because I felt like um, I could express myself a little bit easier other than with ballet that has a, a little bit more of a strict technique. It's more rigid in, into 
in a specific way to do the steps. And for contemporary dance, everything's a little bit more free, a little bit more available, open. And when I turned, okay, so I started when I was 15, right? And when I turned 18, I was already graduated from high school and I needed to go to college. And I decided to go to uh, dance college because I wanted to do that. I knew that 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 is what I wanted. That was what I wanted and it still is. Um, when I got there, I changed city. I went to a different city um, to go to college. It was the best uh, dance program in the country. And there was a lot of um, suggestions. We had a lot of classes about choreographing, how um, important it is for you to be, for you to try to do something new, to experiment new things, a different way to do the same thing, maybe. Because that, that is what keeps the audience there right and like you said um I, I feel like it's probably it's probably not going to be that easy to believe that but i was a really shy kid <laughs> you know so i was a really really shy kid i was like very you know like into myself and dancing was a huge part of coming out of my shelf. It was already the, it was the thing that brought me out, that started, that cracked that shelf. I want to say it like this. And when I started choreographing on in college, I feel like I could talk about anything and I could use that. I could use a, a more poetical, way to talk about everything that I was feeling that I thought about and I couldn't express myself with words because I was still shy. I was still like inside that shell and it was just like, I just feel like it's, it's an amazing possibility to. Well, one of the things that impresses me about the ballet form you can't use words. You have to use facial expressions. Yeah. You have to use That's exactly body. what I was about to say. Yeah, you can't use words. That's and, what I was about to say. Like the the fa my favorite part is being able to resignify uh, re is that the word? Uh like change the the the, the meaning not change the meaning, but find a different way to yeah. tell a story without using any words. How can I convince you? How can I make you understand? How can I, how can I make it believable? Well, Kim, what my body. Isn't Kim working uh, perhaps with you on this? Some original work locally. Yes. Yes. Tell, tell us how that's going. Yeah. Um, so I did a couple of pieces for Dance Alive in the past year. Um, 
I got here in 2021, like I said, so this is my third season with Dance Alive. And I started working with the studio, with the Next Generation, which is our pre-professional group, um, our student company. And I started choreographing smaller pieces with for Dance Alive ever since I got here. Um, and this year, we're, we're having a, a, a performance coming up on February 10th, Love in the Swamp. And as you probably imagine, it's about love. And it's closer to the Valentine's Day. So it's a great, it's a great opportunity to, you know, be with a person you love and just, you know, enjoy some cultural experience. But um, for that show, she came to me and she knew that I wanted to choreograph because I told her that I wanted that if any moment she could give me that possibility, that opportunity, I would be amazed by it. And she offered me to choreograph a piece and she gave me full um, authority, authority to, yeah. to thank you to, uh, of course, inside the theme, but to made up my own story, to create it from scratch. Really? And this is amazing for me. That's the first time I'm doing a ballet like this. Um, first of all, a, a huge ballet, a bigger ballet. And to be able to tell the story from beginning to end without having to rush into anything the way that I can see each of the characters developing their own individual stories to compile into that final thing. And of course, since we were talking about love, the theme that I chose, um, the name of my piece is um, At First Sight. So we're talking wow. about a very romantic love. That's pretty that good. Happens, again, At First Sight. I give you an A plus on that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And the whole, uh, like I said, again, connecting with the whole um, being able to express my feelings. Well, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about at first sight. How many characters now in the story? I have 10, ten characters. Wow. Yeah. And that's, have, a, that's a lot. That's a lot. Of course, you probably have some main characters and then some other, all the minor Is that the way that works? Yes. Yes. I, I have um, the, the two main characters. Um, I'm also in the piece. So I am one of the main characters uh, along with Rose. Rosemary Diario. I don't know if you met her yet. I know her very well. She's local. Yes. Yes. She's local. Yeah. Yes. Out of locale. Yes. Yes. Um, She's one of our principals. Uh, She's gorgeous. Absolutely. Came up through the company. Came up locally through the company. Yes. Yes. She grew up. She she was trained in Ocala and here at Bullfall Studios. She she, uh, went to the Harriet Conservatory for ballet. Um, in Boca Raton and graduated there with excellence. And then she decided to come back to join the company. 
Marvelous. We heard her the, the 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 contract, and she came back, and she's absolutely stunning. It, it's and such a beautiful human being. So oh, yeah. sweet. So uh, I just love her. Yeah, she's great. Um, We're both the main characters for that ballet, and all the other couples. Because I have other four guys and four girls. I have. An individual story for each one of those couples. You certainly piqued my interest. So now, what's the name of it? When am I going to see it? Let's go into that a little bit more. Yeah. So um, the ballet, the ballet is called uh, the show. The show's called Love in the Swamp. Love and, in the Swamp. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, that's great. Yeah, you see, you see um, other pieces in that program too. Um, it, there's my piece uh, at first sight. We have, um, Lando Lashua talking about our community, our yeah. city, the, the region. And the last one, uh, sorry, Lando Lashua was choreographed by Judith Skinner, our, um, yeah. uh, administration director. And, the last piece was choreographed by Kim Taro, our executive and artistic director. Um, it, it's called L'Amour. Yeah. L'Amour. Again, talking about love. And it's it's a great program. I think there's a lot of the, the variety of, of movements. It's, it's amazing. And... <laughs> <laughs> Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a lot of it's a huge variety of um movements and styles, especially styles. And it's it's just great. It's just well how it, when when, when is that all the pieces? Um when are we gonna see that? It's gonna be performed here in Gainesville at the Phillips Center for the Performing Arts. So at the the UF Performing Arts. What's the date? Uh, February tenth. Wow, that's right around the corner. Yeah, that's very close. What is Andy goofing yep. off there behind you? Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, he knew, and he came in like yeah. playing with. <laughs> yeah, he's the best, isn't he? Have you ever seen him dance on stilts? Sorry, what? Have you ever seen him dance on stilts? Oh. Oh my God. Andy's crazy. No, he's crazy. I know that. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely crazy. He was like like my biggest inspiration in life is that man. It's it's just amazing. It okay, so of course he's very famous in Brazil too, right? right. His his known worldwide. And when I knew I was coming here, that was the thing that I was mostly looking forward to because I could learn from him. You know, like I, I just wanted to meet him because he is one of my idols. He is one of the, 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 the dancers that I looked up to that I wanted to be like. And when I got here and we became friends, you that's. And he's a brand new father. And his brand new fra- father. Yeah. No, and I've his seen. son, the cutest thing there is. <laughs> I've seen him the dance cutest. on the stilts. Amazing. 
just amazing and uh, <laughs> uh, fearless, fearless. You know, all you guys are yeah, for sure. All you guys oh, are. Thank you. But, uh, let's do just one, not like you. Let's do one last question. I've got to ask it for the <laughs> dummies out in the audience like me. What's it like to lick those girls? <laughs> it's very funny, to be honest. <laughs> it's very funny, and the the more um, the 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 more complex you can find into the lift, yeah, the more interesting it gets. The the more uh, the more fun you can get out of it. Um, of course, it demands a lot of trust. It demands a lot of intimacy just because some of the movements, some of the lifts, there's, you know, it's just passing yeah. through, but it's all about the story. It's all about the artistry. It's all about, you know, the maturity of being a professional and developing that, but it's, it's just great. <laughs> it feels great to be honest. It feels great. It's like, Whenever it's like a really hard lift that I need to do, and of course you you can't do it at first try, right? If oh, it's really? too hard, yeah. you're gonna have to keep practicing. I got you. And the feeling of accomplishment when you finally master it—it's it's amazing. And the girl helps too, right? For sure, for sure. There's the correct technique to do that, so it's. It's a whole compilation of the way you breathe, the way you engage your muscles, the way we coordinate to push off the floor into the lift, all of that. They need to know that that technique, how to breathe correctly, to be lifted. How to breathe correctly. Yeah. Because you cannot breathe the same way you were breathing when you were by yourself. Just because breathing also changes the uh, weight distribution in your body. So when you're up there, there's a correct way for you to breathe. There's a correct way for you to engage your muscles so you're not soft and wobbly, but you're not too stiff that I can handle. And it's, again, it demands a lot of practice, but that's for literally everything. Oops. Well, you won't believe it, but we're out of time, Talos. And um, you back? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm we're out of time. It's really been great talking to you. Um, same, same. This was great. And uh, you're going to go to work now and practice yes. and stretch and lift all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all waiting for me. <laughs> well, Talos, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. And uh, audience, we'll be right back with Ward's Weather in just a moment. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. All right. This is Ward Scott. 
And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather. Brought to you by Lewis Oil, Wendell Lewis, and Chevron Gas Stations. Fossil fuel, all the above. Patronize, of course, Chevron, Lewis Oil. Well, the temperature is right at 70 here where we are, and it's going to go up to the low 80s. Kind of a mild day and a little bit of rain here and there. So you might call this sort of ideal. Um, We are looking at January and the end of January. And February can often be our coldest month. So we've got that to consider also. Elsewhere in the country, it's been all over the place, mostly very cold. You've seen it. Cars running off the road. Games have moved in locations and times. And that's the way it's been. I don't know if you all remember something that I sort of forgot. And then I ran across this article in something called The Independent. Um, I believe it's uh, an English publication. It talks about something that I said is perfect, is it not? Once I present it to you, let me know what you think. It talks about something you and I have probably heard spoken about before. The doomsday clock. That ring a bell? The doomsday clock. Now, the doomsday clock is supposed to measure, and of course, a metaphor, 
how much time mankind has left until doomsday. And as far as I can remember back, doomsday is a Christian idea that there will be a doomsday and the second coming will be on. And you can read about it in Revelation. I think that's where I first maybe heard it spiritually. Nevertheless, it's also, Shakespeare uses it, uses the concept of a doomsday in Hamlet. But we have had all sorts of modern, how shall I say this, applications of events or discoveries or behaviors or habits that can speed up the doomsday clock. Here's a few. Nuclear war. And of course, the climate. Artificial intelligence. Everything that comes along gets applied to these people's measurement of how it influences the so-called doomsday clock. And according to them, people who are aware of this every day and use this to do some measurements, humanity, you guessed it, is in the most danger it has ever been. In fact, the doomsday clock, according to the article in The Independent, has been left at 90 seconds to midnight. Now, this is supposedly reflecting a continuing and unprecedented level of risk. So say it, the atomic scientists and their bulletins. The atomic scientists are the ones who set the clock. Each January, this is January, of course, a set of experts use the symbolic time to show how close the world is to annihilation. And midnight represents the end of the world. Now, you can imagine, when I was reading this article, it had me hooked. I wanted to know, well, how close are we to the end? Well, midnight last year, the clock was set at 90 seconds. It marked the closest to midnight it has ever been. What put it at 90 seconds? The Ukraine-Russian war. And since the war has continued, there's been a weakening of the nuclear arms reduction agreements, the climate crisis, and in 2023 being measured as the hottest year on record. AI, new genetic engineering, all that also figures into it. Are you intrigued yet?
So it befalls the governments and the communities. This is the logic of the way this works around the world to act. And what do you suppose is the number one act? I knew there was something here getting ready to jump out on us that needs to be addressed. Climate change. Climate change. Of all those things you hear, climate change is supposedly moving us towards doomsday, irretrievably. AI, or artificial intelligence, is growing, but right now, the experts don't know enough about it to know where to put it on the list. They don't know if it's going to be a real threat to mankind or maybe a help. I thought I'd run that by you because I don't know what to make of that kind of stuff. A doomsday clock has nothing to do, it seems to me, with the individual good fortune or bad fortune or mix thereof of an individual's lifespan. And when you get to be my age, you hear of things every day that remind you of this. Your friends start dying. Your friends go to hospitals or routine events and don't come out. So I don't very often think of the doomsday clock. I apologize. But let the, I suspect, younger people worry about it. Well, well, well. I learned something from the Alachua County Commission. Finally. You know, I never learned anything from them. I mean, you know, they're so predictable and, you know, it just doesn't mean much. But I learned something. And let me walk you through what I learned and talk about for a moment, how big the implications are for this. Now, Alachua County, let me refresh you, in its infinite desire to be the number one in everything, from doomsday clocks to, you know, global climate change to this agreement, that agreement, wanted to write a letter protesting Israel's behavior. They wanted to have a public letter with a ceasefire resolution that would be generated by them. I, I can't I haven't heard of or read about 
or know anybody who is personally consult that they represent. They just came up with this on their own. Reziah said Tuesday at the Montreal Commission meeting that it was going to be a ceasefire resolution that would ask the county to be against killing of all kinds, whether in Gaza or Israel. Are you kidding me? Have you not got better things to do? And lo and behold, this is where I started learning things. Because up to this point, I had learned nothing except how dismal the Alaska County Commissioners were. To waste our time. They make 85 grand a year. And they're going to sit up there and write a resolution wishing there wasn't any killing in the world? What in the You've got to be kidding me. Now, the city of Gainesville, the only thing that makes it different from the Alaska County Commission is rather than have five nutcases, it has seven. It already sent a letter to Biden in 2023 supporting a ceasefire. So, obviously, not to be outdone, the county said, well, we better do it too. But what I learned, they learned shockingly Tuesday. And I believe the lady was Jewish and the head of a Jewish group. I saw her interview on Channel 20. And she said nobody from the county had consulted her and asked her and the people she represents about whether or not they wanted anybody to write a letter on their behalf. Well, up until that point, in her reply to the young reporter, nothing surprised me. I mean, hello, hello, I understand that. Typical. But what then she went on to say was so sensible that it's no wonder none of the county commissioners have thought of it. It's no wonder. What she said was that by writing this resolution, in effect, sticking our noses in this Middle East issue, and by our noses, all the people those commissioners represent, you are putting us in danger. You are exposing us to retribution from those who don't agree. 
who didn't even know you existed before you wrote the letter. When you write that letter and you send it, you put us on the target range. You put us identify us as perhaps one of their enemies because not everyone agrees on this issue. And by doing it, you have not prepared to respond. You don't have the ability to respond. You don't have enough Imagination to know how to respond. I thought, my friends, that was one of the most interesting put-downs of the Alachua County Commission that I've heard. And I think, when I think about it, the put-down applies to a whole lot of things that county commission does. They go off, write this, write that, do this, do that, and cannot begin to protect you from the fury of people who say, the hell with this county, move out, or have any kind of reactions to their governance. <clears throat> it's amazing. Go back and look at it. For me, it was what I call an educational moment. And boy, do we need more of them. Main Street Publication had another article that I felt kind of proud of. The Newberry and Archer have entered into a wastewater treatment interlocal agreement. I first suggested this when I was the interim city manager of Archer. And God knows, I can't remember when it was. Early in the 2010s or that decade somewhere, I guess. I don't know. Time flies me having fun. I suggested this back then and had it ready to go. By that I mean I'd been to Newberry, to their city manager, their leaders. I had been to the engineers. But I could not deal successfully with the city of Archer's very own commissioners. I got the feeling that the reason they nickel and dimed it so much is it wasn't their idea. If it had been their idea, they would have jumped on it. 
but it wasn't their idea. You have to understand that Archer's on septic tanks. It cannot develop. GRU has kept it on septic tanks. The Gainesville City Commission, which controls GRU, has kept it on septic tanks on purpose. So it won't grow. They call it sprawl. Because if it grew, they're afraid you'd four-lane Archer Road all the way to Archer. I don't know if that's true or not. But now in 2020, 24, at least a decade, I guess, later, I'm going to look it up and see when exactly it was. They made the agreements. So this agreement will allow Archer to have a wastewater treatment plant in partnership with Newberry. And that expansion will be done in 2026. So I'm going to go back probably this afternoon and look and see the date when I first suggested this to the city of Archer and the city of Newberry. And I thought it was good for both both cities. Apparently, they, they think so, too. Well, well, well. Get ready to strap on your seatbelts for this election. Uh, there's nobody anywhere knows what's going to happen. I've got to tell you that there's a lot of bad scenarios. I'm not going to really mention too specifically what I'm talking about. I'm going to talk about an era that I lived through wherein the country was changed forever not through the electoral process, but through domestic violence. And it starts in 1963. You know what I'm talking about? Runs through the 60s. which become known as the 60s. And the people who were excuse the phrase considered to have uh, uh, need election interference. In other words, they were not to be available for people's choices. Had exactly that happened to them. 
I just hope that doesn't come around again in our society, in our culture. It's been here before. I don't think we ever recovered from it. It's been it's been really, really bad on the country. And people like me and my generation, we can look in the rearview mirror and see it. See where we could have been. So we're going to try to figure it out as best we can. We're going to try to keep up the date as best we can. But you need to supply us if you have anything that you want the research team to look at. Send it our way and we'll take a look at it. Absolutely. We'll continue to have candidates on. We'll continue to have open discussions, which are not censored in spite of what YouTube says. As long as I can help, I will. You got something you want to say to us? Give me a holler. Give me an email. We'll take it up. Well, have a great day. A little bit gloomy, but nice weather, really, when you think about it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for supporting us. Caliber coffee, by the way. My golly, I had several sips of it today. Warthog Command Center out. 